Welcome to The Big Interview. The Big Interview from the Customer Experience Foundation is our weekly podcast where we talk to the people at the sharp end of CX and contact centers. The movers and the shakers, the innovators, the disruptors, and the people delivering in the real world who share their personal stories of their journey through our industry. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Thorpe of Ipsos. Jamie is a well-networked CX professional with over 20 years experience. The majority of his career has been spent in client success and service, previously holding two board level positions and now head of XM at Ipsos. Jamie's expertise spans offer marketing, CX platforms, client success and delivery. He regularly speaks at events and has been engaged with a number of governing bodies. He prides himself on a pragmatic approach that drives actionable intelligence, the so what. Jamie recognises the triangulation between customer, employee and brand experience and the growing needs for brands to be connected to and active in this ecosystem. And in 2021, Jamie has been recognised as a CX leader in the UK. Jamie, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. That's quite a long list of uh, career achievements. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Keith. Great to be here. Well, I'm 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 quite old, and I've been in uh, CX for a long time, so so it should be. And how's how's things been for you over the last uh, twelve, eighteen months or so? How how's how's things been at Ipsos? Uh, very good. Very very busy. I think is the uh, is the answer, and I know that that's sometimes people's uh, default position. But um, as we know. Uh, Keith, CX is uh, in its ascendancy. It was before the pandemic, and the pandemic has really only amplified that. And there are lots of organisations that are looking to get their their A game uh, when it comes to CX. So um, we are doing some some fantastic work, some real sort of leading edge work with some um, large uh, and progressive organisations. So it's all good, although it is a little busy. And what's been driving what's been driving that for clients and yourselves? Do you feel is there anything particular that you can uh, that you can pinpoint? I think um, people are more aware. Customers uh, of ours, clients, brands, organisations are more aware of the the critical importance of customer experience. And you know, it is it is uh, it isn't just about surveys. It is much much broader, and they recognise the impact that it can have. Um, and does have on an organization when it's done properly. So I think more and more brands are waking up to it. And the fact that markets have become much more um, competitive and customers are much more aware of their own value, it's almost a perfect storm where a lot of these things have come together and brands saying, hang on, we really need to know where are we now, where do we need to be, and, and frankly, how do we get there to make sure that we don't fall foul when it comes to the experience that we're promising our customers and what we're actually delivering. So it is almost a bit of an awakening, and I think you know the last two years has certainly amplified people's view when it comes to where they need to be uh, delivering customer experience. Yes, and, and, and CX as a profession and as an industry, have we 
progressed over the last two years? Do we have more traction in the boardroom? Where, where do you feel we are? It definitely has. I see uh, lots of organisations with much higher profiles now. I, we're seeing the advent of um, chief experience officers. We're seeing clients giving responsibility of the voice of the customer all the way up to the boardroom level. So those sort of things are evidencing the the progression of customer experience. And as an industry, we are riding the crest of that wave, if you like, and, and the industry is putting a lot of effort behind it to make sure that that it's backing up the the promise that's being put to organizations to say look you know you, you need to embrace your customer experience and when you do this is the difference it will make and where there's been some big changes over the years in customer experience or previous uh, iterations of customer experience have been quite passive there is a lot more focus on the active now and a lot more focus on the so what. And that's what's grabbing the attention of the, the C-suite and the leadership teams of, uh, of brands that are buying into CX. Right. And are we, are we generally doing a better job at proving the ROI of doing CX, which has always been a challenge? Are we doing a better job of that? Or we still got more ways to go or who's doing that well? I believe we are. And I, you know, as, as you know, I've spent over 20 years in this space and prior to me joining Ipsos, you know, they, it was always, yes, we can get to the ROI, but it's a complicated journey or a complicated path to get there. And when I joined Ipsos, I was really pleased to learn of a methodology that Ipsos has called Roxy, which is return on CX investment. And we have a whole team of people who are working on all parts of this um, methodology that, that basically draws a direct line between performance in the CX space and revenue within the organization. But it looks at operational efficiency, churn, um, spend, share of wallet. So this methodology that, that we have at Ipsos, and we're not the only people in the world that, that do this, but having seen it in the CX space at Ipsos become much more real, I would definitely say we are much, much better at it. We've got some fantastic examples of where organizations are using this to engage upwards within the business to, to think to to go to the board and the c-suite to put real hard metrics on on a cx program and engage the front line as well to say look this is what happens to you in your business whether you're in a car dealership or a retailer or a hotel when you focus on that experience and being able to put a monetary value on it is something that's really capturing the the, the hearts and minds of people and when we look at some of the the, the complementary techniques that we use around um, that metric, so if you think about how we're using text analytics to show the impact of certain topics on, say, an MPS performance, it, it doesn't take much to draw a line between the two points, and people can start. We see it in in people's in people's language within the within, say, a dealer network, for example, in automotive. They say, "Well, this particular." issue is having a minus two impact on our NPS. We know our NPS, yes. one, 1% move on our NPS is worth £120 million a year to us. It doesn't take much to realise actually this is a major issue and we need yes. to fix it. So not only are we able to reach those numbers, but being able to give people the tools to use it in real life is um, is much more prevalent now than it was as, you know, even as little as four or five years ago. Yes, and, and that's much more about surveys, isn't it? Talk to talk to us about what VOC really is. It's much more about it's much moved on from just doing surveys, surely. Yeah, it has absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I will often uh, 
be heard to say in our various uh, speaker engagements that I do is that, you know, experience is only everything. It is, you know, it is everything. It is what people, it changes the way people think about brands, their buying behaviours, their, you know, their levels of advocacy, what they actually do within uh, their interactions within an organisation. And surveys only form um, part of it. We know uh, from the research that we've done, and again, it's commonly commonly known um, that those people that have a better experience will spend more with a brand. They'll stay longer. They will actually advocate. So when you elevate customer experience away from just surveys, you start to think, actually, this is more behavioral change. Um, it is us getting closer to customers. It is us increasing product holdings and tenures, us building a stronger relationship. And frankly, for some organizations, it is the difference between success and failure. And the voice of the customer or customer experience, you, and experience is the common thread to all of this. You'll hear customer experience, brand experience, employee experience, human experience, you know, there's every, whatever, however people label it, it is experience as that common thread. The surveys is just, is just one part of it. We're seeing more and more um, intelligence being used in terms of how surveys are utilized in, in the, the holistic engagement of customers. We're seeing more and more um, brands looking at actually what does this mean from a reputational point of view? How am I represented online? What is my impact um, socially? So it's a it is a complicated ecosystem. Um, but sometimes you know people do brands still need do, do need educating that voice of the customer is is not just a uh, a survey. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. Um, and, and looking at um, some of the main platforms that, that are out there at the moment, there's been a lot of merger and acquisition activity um, earlier this year with some eye-watering numbers involved, um, billions <laughs> of billions of pounds. Has mm. that settled down now? Do you think there's more of that to come? And what sort of impact is that going to have on the market, on the clients, on on, on the customers? Who's going to see the who's going to see the, the the benefit and the impact of that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the tech ecosystem platforms um, are a big part of, of of what we do, and you know, I, I started uh, I started in CX before it identified as CX in the nineties, you know, in the, in the mid nineties, and yes, that's the nineteen nineties, and uh, you know, in, in these guys and, and girls weren't in this space, you know, they weren't really in only in the early two thousands did they start to come to the fore, and the it's rapid the progression uh, that they've made and uh, the prevalence that they now have. And, and frankly, rightly so, because I remember in those days at the time, you know, research agencies um, or agencies were trying to utilize their own tech, trying to build their own um, platforms and, you know, people in organizations would be saying, Oh, well, you know, maybe we could invest, you know, 50,000 pound or a hundred thousand pound in our own platform. I remember those conversations and then you get a, you know, um, a platform come in and they've spent 100 million in the last year. You know, you cannot compete with it. Um, so frankly, the best thing is to not try. And what we've done is we've created a very strong ecosystem where we aren't a tech provider and the tech providers aren't a full service end-to-end agency. So we've created an ecosystem which is very common in this space now. And, you know, in answer to your question, what the mergers do and the acquisitions and the eye-watering numbers do is basically drive a competitive, again, a fiercely competitive market that will give us technology, continue to give us technology that can do more and more for us. So I don't think we've seen the end of it. Um, we see, you know, acquisitions where people are looking to potentially plug gaps in their 
capability by bringing in a, a business that it specializes in one area. We see IPOs and we see lots of um, changes of ownership. And that's because people recognize these, these, these VCs and the, the people invested in these kind of companies recognize the importance of experience and are ready to put their money where their mouth is. So I think that the, the mergers and the acquisitions will continue. The investment in the tech will continue and it will just get smarter and smarter. And frankly, it's one of those, for me, it's one of those situations, which is, you know, when, when the tide rises, all the ships go up basically. So I think that yeah. as the tech gets better, we all can continue to embrace it. And both those delivering a service, you know, such as Ipsos and those clients that are buying that service will, will be able to get a better, better experience because the tech is tech is an enabler. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, where does it go wrong? Where, where do we as clients or as organizations get it wrong? And uh, what, 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 what do you see? What would you talk to us about there? I think the human element of the engagement is often where things can go wrong. Um, and by that, I mean that we will never get to a place, thankfully, where everything is automated and it's all tech only. There will always need to be human intervention to add the level of um, complexity and intelligence to be able to leverage the power of a, of a CX program. Whilst that human experience will will serve and often does serve as, as a positive, it's that's where, for me, it can sometimes serve as a negative. And I think when it comes to values within how people operate and how they work with clients, they're the areas where it can go wrong. And I've seen this many times where people fail to be open and honest is where sometimes things can fail. I get asked a lot. We, we on board, we, you know, we've been so incredibly busy. We've got so many new programs. We're on board in new programs all of the time. And I will be asked by clients regularly. I'm a bit worried about when we do this implementation, will, will the implementation go wrong? And the yes. answer is yes, it will. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's the yeah. truth because somewhere along the line there'll be something you didn't see there'll be something we didn't see and frankly you know we we will have to overcome something and the, the thing is that you need to be honest and you need to be transparent and you need to be engaging so I've seen organizations trying to hide things either in implementation or in um, in delivery and that's where it goes wrong and you just can't afford for it to go wrong um, when it comes to such a client facing uh, delivery that is a CX program. So, where it's not where where people aren't open and honest, where they're not transparent, I see lots of overpromising. Um, sometimes, especially when it comes to technology as well. Yeah, sure, the technology can do this, the technology can do that. There are lots of things that technology can do. Sometimes we need to remember that some of these organisations aren't set up to to be able to embrace the technology in, in the yes. way that the tech providers might want. We, you know, yes. when you think of banks, you know, some of these banks are hundreds of years old. They've got legacy technology. So some of the things that they want to do, they can't do. Um, yes. And I sometimes see a disconnect between what is said through sales processes and what is actually deliverable through engagement as a, and that is sometimes can be a cause of, can be a cause of conflict. The other thing that, that um, I will always be, I will always be known for within my team is I've, I've told them that on my gravestone I want subject to a mutually agreed statement of work uh, put on my put on my headstone <laughs> and we we make light of it and I and they, I get lots of uh, I get lots of jibes for it but 
a statement of work is everybody's friend and yes. clients love it because it is so completely transparent and we love it because there's no there's no surprises we've got it down to a fine art and there's 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 no ambiguity in what is written down on a piece of paper so where it goes wrong is is you know the, those early stages of those sorts of things where cx programs can go wrong in life is when people fail to truly embrace the power of CX and, and, and act on it because it is just, it is a game-changing tool. As I said earlier, it's a difference between success and failure. Um, we need to make sure that we're supporting our clients in a way that they can have that so what, that they can drive engagement within the business. Senior sponsorship is so critically important um, when it comes to CX programs. Keeping things simple, I see, I see clients many, many times and agencies as well overcomplicate things to the point of obstruction, you know. So keep things simple, engage people, give them the tools to do the job, be open and honest, and make sure everybody is clear on roles and responsibilities, what expected, and how this will actually play out. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, thinking now personally, how did you get started in in CX and customer service? Talk us talk us about your journey through the industry. How did you get to where you are today? Well, there are two questions here. So the start of my journey, how did I get into it accidentally, um, is the answer. We all did. How did, I, <laughs> how, did, how did I get to where I am today is, is, is frankly bloody hard work, Keith, if I'm honest with you. Um, but, but actually, my journey was that I started at a, at a research agency um, where a friend of the family had said, look, you know, you need to. I used to be a chef many years ago. And uh, and they said, look, you need to, you know, you're working these these shocking hours. <laughs> Funny how things come around, isn't it? You're working shocking hours, and um, you know, you you need an office job. I know someone that's looking for an office junior at the time, and I knew nothing about anything um, in in this space. And I went in and I cut my teeth underneath a uh, a business leader who I'm still in touch with today, um, 25 years later. And it was in the days where we used to you know, write our own questionnaires, manage our own field work, um, yes. you know, interpret our own data and then present it back to the client. We did everything. So yes. that was a really, really strong grounding for me. And as I progressed through the years, I just became more um, conversant in what, what, what was customer SATs and what is now CX is and ended up working with clients from a relatively young age, but having had a view of, how we look at data, how we design questionnaires, how we deal with clients, I wouldn't change that because it gave me such a strong grounding in so many different areas. Yes. And that sort of that sort of grew. And as I've become more senior in organizations and progressed through businesses, um, a lot of those responsibilities are still there. And it's that experience that has put me in, in good stead. Yeah. Fantastic. And you touched on it there. What, what? Who would you say have been the big influences on your life and your career? I mean, my, my original mentor, uh, a chap called Harvey, um, who, who ran the business, who owned the business uh, that, that I that I joined back then, was huge um, from a from a mentor point of view for me. Uh, he taught me that everything is about people. Everything else is noise. You know, and yes, there are other things that are important, but 
when the hearts and minds of people, whether they're yes. the team or the clients, they will run through walls for you. And I learned that from him at a really, really early age. So he has been a massive influence on my on my life. I think you also have to recognise some of the some of the negative influence as well. You know, I, I had a I had a boss after that who was who was not a good boss. Um, but honestly, I learned as much from him of how not to do things. Um, as you know, as as I had from what to do, so and he yes. he taught me the need to be organised, the need to be structured, the need to be prepared. Make sure you know your numbers. You know, make sure you've got because he was incredibly hardworking and and structured. He wasn't a very nice person, but there are lots of positives there. So, so they were just someone else that I took a lot um, who, I took a lot from who've influenced me. And then I suppose. The third is I have to I have to give a call out to my wife, um, who my long suffering wife, who've been together for a long time. She's a nurse, so if you come back to the people aspect, the empathy that I get yes. from her, um, and and those might say, well, you're not empathetic, Jamie. Well, I am much more empathetic than did I where I not to have her influence. So yeah, those yes. those are the three that I would call out off the top of my head. Fantastic. Um, uh, through your career, what would you say perhaps is the biggest issue is you ever had to overcome? What are some of the big challenges you've had? From a personal point of view or a professional point of view? Yeah, well, from a, pers- from a professional point of view in, in, in your career. From a professional point of view, the ch- some of the challenges, again, if we think about people, um Sometimes some people or some organisations have a view on what a person should should be. You know, they should go to these schools. They should they should talk like this. They should look like this. Um, and frankly, if you had a number of ticks in those boxes, I wouldn't fit into many of them. Yeah. So sometimes there's some things that people have to that. overcome. Yeah, and and so you know, I don't go on about those, but it is it is real, and you you have to overcome some of those perceptions. I think is that still is the much... case now? Do you think, or it was well, certainly the case twenty years ago? Is that still the case now? Do you think it, it's it's not? I don't I don't believe it is truly, and I can certainly only speak for the organisation that I work for. So Ipsos is so incredibly uh, inclusive, so incredibly um, open mind and relaxed, and giving people the opportunities. And you know, you you no longer have to um, uh, Ipsos as, and many organisations. You no longer have to have gone to that school. You no longer have to. To look like that, yes, you know, I, I, I have a tattoo, and yes, I have this, and yes, I didn't do that. And and what organisations recognise now is the power of the people. Do you you know if you know what you know and you're good at what you do, then it almost doesn't matter what you look like and what you what, yes. what you sound like. So I think yes. those things have certainly reduced those um, those stigmas from previously. I still see it in some organisations. So there's some things personally, and then. Professionally, uh, you know, overcoming constantly overcoming in, in CX is 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 evangelising. I think it is. We still see organisations, some large organisations as well, that are, f- are frankly so far off the pace it's frightening. So we're still overcoming to people to say that you have to do this properly. You cannot afford to get this wrong. Um, yes. So there's some things that we all face sometimes with clients. We're still having to explain the value of CX. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. And what would you say you're most proud of in your career? What are some of the biggest achievements? I know that I know how this will sound, but I'm very proud of 
where CX is now. You know, when I think about how I've seen it grown, how I've seen it grow, the, the profile that it has, some of the people um, that are in it and, and what we are able to do for businesses, the impact that we are now having on business. I'm incredibly pragmatic. I am a, a type A completer, finisher personality. And so when I'm looking at it from a client point of view, I want to be able to say, we did this and it had this impact. And that brings, I, I get a huge amount of pride from that. Yeah. Great. So uh, as you know, we always like to ask our guests to uh, reflect and help those coming up through the industry today. So what advice would, you can go back to being 25 again. What advice would you give to your younger self? (laughs) Over and above, buy software shares. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe maybe that's the advice. What what would you buy? (laughs) Well, you know... but would you buy software shares? Look at some of these organisations. From a financial point of view, that would be that would be my advice. Get close to the get close to the tech. If I could go back to twenty five years ago to the to the mid late nineties, then I certainly might have taken a different path. If I was just looking at it from a remuneration point of view, um, personally, I probably wouldn't change anything on my journey because it gave me the grounding that I've that I've got today. But if I could whisper a few things in my ear um, in a sort of back to the future style back then. It would be to try and be more understanding of other people's point of views, walk a mile in in other people's shoes. And, and sometimes we're all faced with situations and you think, how has this happened? How has that happened? How is this here? You have to remove yourself from it and look at it from other people's point of view and say, actually, I can actually see where they're coming from and I can see why this situation has occurred or why their point of view is 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 thus so that would be the single piece of advice i would give to to me personally and i think it's a one thing that young young people especially young men could probably learn from if they'd learn that earlier then i certainly I certainly think they'd be a lot more successful a lot more quickly fantastic and uh we know it's very very busy at ipsos at the moment how do you unwind and escape from it all Tell us a few things about you we wouldn't know from looking at your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> there's a there's an eclectic mix of things. Um, you know, did did you know? So uh, I'm massively into football. I'm an accredited oh, FA really? coach. I, yeah, I manage my son's um, my son's under eleven team. We also I also play football. We go to we go to uh, Arsenal Football Club quite regularly. I have a I, we I, won't really publicise that bit. No, let's not. It's, that's a whole other podcast. I what else? I I I've I've, I've strayed from lots of different things. I've I've got an allotment. You know, I've got an allotment. I remember my wife said, "What What do you know about allotment?" I said, "Nothing that Google can't teach me." So I'll be doing I'll be doing that. I've got a couple of black belts in some martial arts. So you know, again, balance is very zen. Planting vegetables and then every now and again avoiding various uh, attacks on a Friday night. So that's that's that. I'm a chair of governors uh, at a local middle school. I've wasted more money on cars over the years than I care to imagine. I've got a sausage dog. You know, the, the list is, is endless, but it isn't a typical mix. You know, there is a very, very uh, eclectic mix. I love rap music, you know, and but equally I'll, I like a good a rom-com. There you go. Pick the bones out of that, Keith. Fantastic. <laughs> Jamie, it's been amazing having you with us today. I hope our listeners have found this as great as I have. Thank you so much. You can find out lots more about the Customer Experience Foundation at cxfo.org. We thank you for joining us at the Customer Experience Foundation today, and we hope you can join us next time on The Big Interview.